Just two weeks ago, I was early in the morning before the sun came up. I was walking in Destin, Florida. Feel sorry for me, don't you? And I was walking, and all of a sudden, I came across a sign that said, Beach, 1.5 miles. I thought, this I got to see. So I kept walking, and a mile and a half later, I got to the beach. And I watched the sun come up. And I watched the waves come in. And I thought about the grandeur of God. And as I had walked along, I had looked up into the sky, and it just seemed like the sky was closer in Florida than it was in Nebraska. Probably because there wasn't as much light pollution as like walking in Lincoln. But I could see the constellation Orion, big and bright and beautiful in my face. And I kind of gasped as I saw it. And then I saw the ocean. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks to us about God. The key way he addresses God in the book of Isaiah is God is holy. He's the holy one. He's high and lifted up. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees God. He really only sees the trail, the the train of God's robe, and he's overwhelmed with the holiness of God because the first five chapters, Isaiah's been saying this to the people surrounding Israel, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And then in chapter 6, Isaiah sees God himself, and he says, woe is me. He sees the holiness of God. He says, I'm undone. I'm falling apart because he's faced with his own unholiness. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the holiness of God. And for the next 39 chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the judgment of God on the people surrounding them and on his people. And then we break through to chapter 40, which is what we're looking at here today. In chapter 40, as we looked at, who's measured the waters in the hollows of his hand? The hollow is like if you would take your hand and put it under the faucet right here. You put about a tablespoon of water in the hollow of your hand. There's 256 of these in a gallon. There's 187 quintillion gallons in the Pacific. That's 187 times 10 to the 18th. There's 48 times 10 to the 21st tablespoons in the Pacific. Are you getting this? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The massiveness the awesomeness, the grandeur of the God who made you and me. Who has marked off the heavens with a span. A span is from the end of your thumb to the end of your pinky. A span. Marked off the heavens. Well, how big are the heavens? Well, we don't know. This is what we do know. They are 93 billion light years across. 
the known universe. One light year is six trillion miles. 93 billion light years. It's even bigger than our national debt. <laughs> Way bigger. How about you weighed the nations in a balance? They are like the dust on the scales. Can you picture yourself at High V today? And you're going to go get some vegetables, and there's a scale there, and you put the vegetables. But before you put the vegetables in to weigh them, you say, hey, come over here. Clerk, clerk, come over here. Wipe the dust out. I'm not paying for no dust. Have you ever done that? No. The nations. See them up above? See the flags of the nations? Dust on the scales compared to Almighty God. Oh, yes, it's Govember. We're to go to the nations, but compared to Almighty God, dust on the scales. Every person that ever lived, nothing compared to the Almighty God. See, we're under the sovereignty of His control, He controls everything. You know what? I wasn't supposed to speak this morning. I got a call at 11 o'clock last night. (laughs) Brittany got a 2.30 a.m. text. But he's in control. We aren't. He is. He's the God who created all things. Why does our culture fight against saying that God is our creator? Because the creator is the controller. He made us. I kind of like to think of it like we all have a C with a circle around it marked on us. We're copyrighted. And whoever owns the copyright gets to say how the item gets to be used, right? We are copyrighted by Almighty God. He's the creator. Let's read on in Isaiah 40, after where Kenny read. We're going to start in verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsman overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver change, chains. He is too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? How has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. It is, in, it's, it is And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. We talk about the sovereignty of his control. This is the supremacy of his person. It goes on. It says, scarcely are they planted. That's the rulers of the earth. Scarcely sown. Scarcely are their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes on high and see who created these. This is talking about the stars again. He who brings them out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Do you know in Genesis 1 where it goes through the account of creation? You know what it says about the stars? He made the stars also. 
Kind of an aside comment. He made the stars also. We don't know how many of those there are either. The supremacy of his person. Who is like God? Nobody. Nothing. Allie in her prayer mentioned, and her speaking mentioned, the idols of the nations. I lived for two and a half years in Japan and had the opportunity a few times to go to a temple and see an idol that some people had put together and made. And I love the Japanese people and I don't want them to worship idols. But we have idols. They just have different imprints on them. Mercedes-Benz, Lexus, Chrysler. That's just the vehicles that we drive. There's other things that we idolize. An idol is any sort of substitute for God that would take first place in your life. An idol. We can worship the God of heaven who made all things. The rulers of the earth, it talks about here. They come to pass, the princes are as nothing. God is eternal. What is any king? Charlemagne's not around anymore. Pol Pot is gone. Genghis Khan is dust. The rulers of the earth, Napoleon is gone. God will live on forever. We're all responsible to him. He is the great one. He is a supreme person. Isaiah had a magnificent view of almighty God. Let's read on. Verses 27 and 28. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. See, when we come to grips and we see the fact that God is in control and he governs the whole earth, the whole universe, all that's been created, and then something difficult happens in our life, we ask this question that Isaiah poses. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. When I understand that he's sovereign and something happens in my life that doesn't seem to make sense, then I wonder, is he really in control? If he is in control, why did he allow this to happen? Doesn't he love me? Have I done something wrong? Well, probably. But is that why it happened? What is God up to if he's in total control? If he's sovereign? Well, that along comes with that, not only is God sovereign and supreme, but he has soundness in his wisdom. God knows what he's up to. He knows what he's doing. In 1993, my wife and I, with our three kids, were at a hospital or not, a, or at a doctor's office, and we were having a sonogram done on our fourth child. And our three kids were there. We thought it'd be fun to let them watch. And 
looking at a picture of our fourth child, little boy, found out. We're excited about that. But the technician got real quiet. She said, your children are going to have to leave. We're going to have to call the doctor to come in and talk to you. The doctor came in and told us that our little boy had a condition called anencephaly, and he would die six hours after he was born. He did die six He would die right after he was born. He died six hours after he was born. Right here. And my little boy went from the arms of his earthly father to the arms of his heavenly father. Now, why did that happen? It hurt deep. A year ago, I got to stand at a funeral and speak to a young couple who just lost their little baby girl a few hours after she was born. Is that why it happened to me? I don't know. All I knew was that I could connect with that young man and young woman as they lost their baby. And I could connect with other people that hurt in a way that I'd never hurt before. I met with a brother last week, a very smart, intelligent brother. And as I sat and talked to him, he'd always been kind of strong and harsh and gung-ho and tend to run over people. And I sat and talked with him. And I connected with him in a way like I had never before. But by the way, three years ago, we lost his son in an accident. Life is hard. God is good. God's been there for us in the midst of difficult things we've had since then. And God will be there for you. Oh, I, I'm convinced that someday I'll get to heaven, I'll go, oh, that's why that happened. But I don't, I don't know it all now. I just know an inkling of it. I know my God is wise, though. When you read this book from cover to cover, you see he's always up to something. He's working something incredible. Here's a poem from a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom and her family hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II, and they were captured, sent to concentration camps, and her father and her sister both died in the concentration camp. Corey Ten Boom lived. She wrote this poem. It's called, Life is But a Weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. God is wise. We can trust him. Isaiah tells us. He goes on and he says, this, this is how. In verse 29 through 31, he says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The sovereignty of his control, the supremacy of his person, the soundness of his wisdom, this is the strength of his tenderness. 
He carries us. He gives us power when we're faint. When we have no might, he gives us strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. Being 65, I kind of think that's a funny verse. Yeah, even you got young guys get tired. They who wait for the Lord shall renew the strength. Renew their means to exchange. It means to exchange your puny little strength for the strength of God. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. How do eagles soar? They catch the updraft, the hot air that's rising from the hot ground up into the sky, and all they do is put out their wings. Have you ever seen a, a hawk or an eagle soaring? Kind of wish you could be up there, don't you? Catching the updraft. Well, spiritually, you can. Catch the updraft, the strength of God. The God who made the heavens and the earth is in the midst of of your most difficult time and every time, your greatest time. He's there giving us strength. We shall mount up like an eagle. An eagle has a very interesting eye. It's not shaped round like ours. It's more like a a grape. It's a lot longer than ours is. So they can see much further than we can see. They can be flying that high, look down and say, oh boy, rabbit, my favorite. Swoop down and get it. An eagle has an eye to see far. An eagle has perspective. When we know God, we have perspective. We can see from a different height. We can see what he's up to. This is why men and women, we have to continue to be in God's word because the world takes away our perspective. It pulls us to the ground. We get caught up in it. We need to meet together. We need to be in God's word on our own to get his perspective, to see how he sees reality. A number of years ago when we were working with the navigators at Kansas State University, a friend of mine called up and he said, hey, um, the Missouri Tigers are coming to play football. I was wondering if you'd like to speak at their chapel. I said, sure, that'd be great. So I started to pray about it and praying about it and the Lord kind of laid on my heart something I was like Lord I said something you're not supposed to say I said Lord no that's an oxymoron right Lord you're in charge you get whatever you want no that you know, Peter did that sometimes Lord no and he, what he was telling me was read them the runaway bunny the runaway bunny the runaway bunny that's a book my kids loved the runaway bunny And it's all tattered and torn. I've had to tape it up a number of times because they'd go and pull it out and have me read it over and over again. I don't know if you've read The Runaway Bunny, but in The Runaway Bunny, the little bunny wants to run away, and he says says to his mother, I'm going to run away. You're supposed to run away and not tell your mother, but some reason he told his mother. He says, if if you come after me, I'm going to become a fish in a trout stream. She says, if you become a fish in a trout stream, I will fish for you. And you get to see a big picture of the bunny getting fished for by the mama. So I'm going through this book, and it's got one scenario like that after the next, and here's these big football players. What's he reading this to me for? I think I'm going to have another breakfast, you know? They're, 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 they're thinking about it, and I'm going, Lord, I don't want to be reading this story, you know? So 
But I, I get to the end of the story, and the, the, at the end of the story, the bunny said, the mother has a response to everything he's going to do. He says, oh, I, should, I guess I'll just stay at home. And it says, and so he did. I looked at the guys and I said, this is when they got scared. I said, Jesus is after you. You've been running away like a runaway bunny. Because you know what? In Isaiah, after this passage, a few chapters later, Isaiah 53, it says, the God who made heaven and earth, who can weigh the mountains in a scale, the hills in a balance, the nations are dust, marks off the heavens with a span, measures the, the oceans in the hollow of his hand. That God became a little baby. J.I. Packer, the British theologian, says the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was the incarnation. That he became one of us. The God of all that was a fertilized egg. What happened at your house on the day after Thanksgiving at my house? It's like Christmas. We got to do Christmas. The music comes out. We start putting the stuff up. Did that happen at your house? Yeah, we got, that's the reality. That's the incarnation. He became one of us. And then in Isaiah 53, if you read it, it's written 600 years before Jesus ever came. Because Isaiah had perspective and he could see down through the corridor of history. And he said, one would come that would be the servant of God. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, God in the flesh, the iniquity of us all. And if you don't know that message this morning, he's running after you. The God who made it all. One poet called him the hound of heaven. He's after you. Surrender to him. He made you. He's bought you. You're his. Surrender to his love. He's after you. Let me close in a word of prayer.